you guys do love that soft open, you know, the casual chatter into the open. <laughs> <laughs> the soft open. That's such a good way of describing what we've never described and have just tried to do. I love how whenever something kind of goes against analytics, everyone is just immediately quick to bash the analytics. But what they don't know is behind the scenes, like teams like a Liverpool or even like a Leeds this year are almost entirely built in analytics. Welcome to Footy Fellows. Welcome, welcome to Footy Fellows. Welcome to Footy Fellows, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, we're going to be talking life, playing games, playing mind games. We got a little something for you. Throw us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Footy Fellows Pod, F O O T Y Fellows Pod. Also subscribe to the YouTube, por favor. We got a great chat today with Mr. Derek Grammer, an original Foff friend of Footy Fellas and a real-life friend of ours who happens to be very invested in the analytics and modeling world of soccer, football, and other sports. Soccer and football there were referring to the same thing, to be clear, but also other sports, and he gave hot takes on the EPL season so far, which teams have been overperforming, underperforming, talked about his model, certain metrics that are getting more popular in the soccer world. Really, uh, really good chat. Exciting and informative for us, wouldn't you say, Jens? I most certainly would. I think he is a... Um... He's a, he's a proper the proper checks and balances that we need on this podcast. I think sometimes uh, some of us, namely myself, fly off the handle and we'll make blasphemous claims um, against players, like for example, perhaps Rodri. Um, and it's important for him to come on here and slap my wrist and slap our collective wrists, just like that. Thank you. We can also edit that in post to have of Pierre. Um, yeah, there we. <laughs> That wasn't even. Post. You didn't have to slap me. That that was that was too. Hey, it's gonna be too hard in post. One sec. <laughs> Come over here. All right, that was in post. That was like, that, yeah. That would have been tough. Yeah. Boy, yeah, yeah. Icy, what do you think? Yeah, Derek. Derek's great. Love talking to him. Uh, really cool model he's got. He's been working on since COVID started. Uh, also, you know, Jones to piggyback on what you were saying about saying outlandish stuff. I never do that, but you do all the time. And I'm glad Derek, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad Derek uh, brought, you know, really just stick at the facts about Manchester United. They're, they're, they're outperforming what they're supposed to do. So we'll see them come back to earth shortly. I have no, I have no rebuttal. <laughs> Spitting facts. Can't, yeah. Can't rebut the stats. That's the problem with stats yeah. is they're hard and fast yep. and they fly by the belt. So just like you're feeling, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, if you're ever feeling like you want to go off the cuff, the problem with stats is they're, uh, next to the kneecap and they're by the belt. Yeah. So if you're going cuff links, they're going button down. Yeah, of course. If you're going to pay, they're going mullet up. Yeah. That's the deal with stats. You know, one day they're top of the chain Mm -hmm. next day. They're middle of the road. Yes. And you, you don't know where they fall, and then you do, and they could be on the chair, uh-huh. 
and then you're on the table. Hey, take the chips where they lie, be it down, up, or in between. I think what's important, ultimately, end of the day, is that the goals you reach, they can't be taught. They can't be bought. Only you can seek out what's given to you. Anyways... (laughs) Live for the grind. Don't grind for the live. We're going to get into this discussion. It's a good one. Stay tuned. Today, we're joined by day one friend of footy fellas, Derek Grammer. Derek is an analytical maestro who isn't fooled by fancy flicks and tricks by hyped up flair players. He relies on gameplay metrics to inform his judgment and guide his belief even in future outcomes. He's on the pod today to help us make sense of this hectic first half of the 2020-2021 season, as well as potentially to tell us what we should expect for the second half. Derek, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, guys. That was an amazing open, honestly. I appreciate the the kind words. Maestro is not something I've been called before, especially with my my actual play on the pitch, but (laughs) but I appreciate it. No, it's... I'm happy to come here and talk, chat with you guys about this little pet project that I started working pretty heavily on when I, when COVID kind of sidelined me and gave me nothing to watch on TV. So yeah, happy to be here. Right. We, uh, you know, we've talked many a time, uh, not on this pod, uh, about how you are evaluating teams and what trends we should be looking after. I think overall, historically, uh, the one question we failed to ask you, um, just guy to guy is when did you kind of grow this, this, um, interest in, uh, you know, I guess maybe separately numbers, but then start to apply that to the game of, of what we call footy. Yeah, that's solid question. Honestly, I actually don't know how much you know about this first model I built, but I, I got really deep into kind of reading and trying to build models and predict different outcomes in baseball and, I read a couple books. There's a good one called Trading Bases that does a great job of trying to basically take player player data and then try to come up with ways to convert it to team level valuation. So similar to my actual line of work in which we're doing that for real estate projects. Uh, And so got my Excel skills a lot better uh, through kind of just exploring and also work and Soccer was always kind of that one sport that I, I really wanted, especially with the EPL as a keen fan, especially well, even more so when my Stoke team was playing there. But alas, I, I, it's definitely the sport that I've always wanted to be able to try and bring something predictive to just because I think the analytics space there is so much more complex than baseball. Um, there's so many more moving parts, so many more tactical styles that they, that impact players while others like if you Crystal Palace, they're kind of just free balling with, with Eze and Baja just running around out there while the rest defend. And so there's just so much more, so many more moving parts on it, basically. And for me, kind of transitioning from that baseball one-on-one matchup situation, which is much more easy to, much easier to project into trying to figure it out for soccer has been super challenging, but also like quite enlightening. Like there's nothing like watching a Burnley Brighton game where you have projected Brighton to win and, and Burnley's kind of sitting back all game while Brighton peppers them. And next thing you know, Brighton finally breaks through with a, an Eve Basuma wonder strike or something like that, you know, and that's, that's the most rewarding part is it makes watching the games and seeing where you kind of were wrong and right. And then where you can adjust your, your metrics, all the more, all the more interesting. 
I love it. Um, you speak about how you've applied those um, learnings to the, the, the game of footy. Um, can you help explain to the novice listener uh, what exactly does the world of analytical football look like? What kind of metrics exist out there? What, what's the common language? Yeah. So if for any of your listeners who really are keen on learning kind of just where the highest level analytics metrics are, there's a great site called Understat. Actually, some Russian guys run it, um, just spelled under with S-T-A-T. And they do a great job of kind of highlighting the expected goals, expected goals against, and then PPDA and OPPDA, which is passes per defensive action and I guess the opposite of passes, like the opponent's passes per defensive action, which is the kind of the key pressing metric. And so I actually really like to use the non-penalty expected goals value, which I'm not sure if you've explained on the pod what expected goals are, but basically using kind of data analytics and and like cartography-esque mapping skills with programs, they're able to basically project out from all the shots taken in a game what the probability of goals of each of those shots was and then sum them up to kind of highlight the amount of chances created by a team in a given game. And so if you look at that from a non-penalty projection perspective, what I'm trying to capture when I look at my team level valuations are how many chances and like what kind of chances are these teams creating as opposed to are they being gifted penalties or are they just really good at drawing penalties? Um, it works on occasion. It doesn't work on other occasions. I mean, Brighton should be a lot better if you just purely look at these metrics, but they're trailing their projected points by almost 13 at this point in the season, right? So they, if you look at just purely these advanced metrics, you'd think Brighton is almost sitting at 27 points when in reality they're a lot less than that. <laughs> I mean, I think the next the next question very much leads into which of all of the stats that exist in the footy world are you most interested in and um, how, if any of them, do you apply into your own model? Yeah, so I basically, this is where you guys are going to question if I have a social life, basically, but <laughs> so when, when kind of, I started thinking about that same problem because in most sports you have like baseball, a war, a wins above replacement metric already built out. That's kind of a universal way to compare players across positions um, and then use that to assess value. So I, I got, I started reading a lot into this, the who's the who's like match rating player rating basically but i was like i need to build my own version of this that also factors in in rewards players for keep maintaining this match rating over a long period of time so i basically went on and this is the best website for your listeners uh, fb ref football ref reference basically and just downloaded as much data as i could at the player level uh had i basically had 36 variables I, I downloaded and you can only run regressions in excel that are 16 variables wide so i basically just had to trial and error and eliminate one at a time uh for each position group and long story short i basically built out kind of with the different groupings so i have right now let's see i have eight different groupings so from striker attacking mid defensive center mid goalkeeper winger wide defender i have all these different groups and with them each i have a different algorithm that kind of weights their actual metrics throughout the season so one that i found really kind of interesting and actually upped my weight on in this off season was ball recoveries and a lot of people are talking about this more now because this is like the the ngolo conte metric right i mean 
a defensive midfielder or central midfielder that, that, that can recover the ball frequently and win it back for you is such a huge importance to your team. But until they started tracking that, it never would have showed up on any sort of stat sheet, right? And you look at now, like, if you look at the big transfer names out there right now, a guy named, like, Eve Basuma, for example, he's king in this metric. He's He does such a good job for Brighton in recovering the ball. Definitely is near the lead. And for me, he's, like, the highest value player on Brighton in my model right now. So fact that like I'm able to the fact that I was able to capture that and, and showcase that metric for a defensive midfielder was 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 pretty cool to find out and definitely something I was excited to update. Um, another one that's interesting, I'll only go through two here, but another one I really liked is, is um, basically uh, key passes, right? So key passes and also passes into the final third. So that's basically where a guy is, is kind of sitting deep. And if you have any football manager playing uh, listeners, that's basically where you you have a player that's not necessarily kind of up near the creative action, but is able to, to set a pass through different lines of defense that are able to set up their goal goal scoring or just a goal creating chance or, or a shot creating chance. And just the fact that we're able to better synthesize these metrics and have them at our disposal is is interesting, and I'm, I'm sure when I refresh these regressions a year or so from now, I'll definitely change my weights on some things because the game itself changes too over time. I mean, yeah, a team like Liverpool in the key Barcelona era just would not have been a popular style by any stretch, and now a, a ticky-tack-a-focused team is just not a popular style anymore. So those are some metrics I really like to look at, and they're just bo- they're both kind of heavily built in different position levels in my model. It's really interesting you say that the game is changing and that that therefore you're going to have to react to that with changing your model. And I'm curious when you see teams that are playing like leads, just high press, and that a lot of teams are, are playing these days because I think a lot of them rely on the analytics of telling them the more you can keep the ball in the other half and you know you cause turnovers, they're much more valuable if it's in the final third do those individual players tend to show up as higher in value because they're making more quote unquote key passes or more, you know, expected goal chances to score given the style of their team's play. So how how does individual players uh, metrics within these, these models that you're running reflect the general team play? No, that's, that's a great question. And I think the best way to look at it, is what players typically rate the highest on each team for me. Because this is run basically like the way, I don't know if you know how how war is done with baseball, but you take a bucket of of wins, in this case for me, points, and you allocate them across position groups based on, I did it based on um, the amount of money spent in the Premier League on each position group, basically as a total. So the the, the percentage of it. Um, And then within that, you can see on each team basically who just had the most eye-popping metrics. So I ask you guys, who would you guess right now is Leeds' best player for me in my model? And then I'll, I'll finish the rest of this, but I think that's a I'm curious to hear you think. It's a good question. Icy, what do you think? Given Leeds is your, your squad now. Okay. First player that comes to mind would be Bamford, but judging by how you're phrasing this question, Grammar, I doubt I don't think it's going to be Bamford. I actually want to say it's uh, Cleek. Cleek. Wow. Okay, so you, you got it. Mateus Cleek is number one, actually. That's a, that was a great get. I did not expect you to pull that, but yeah, I mean, he's a solid player. 
we also hacked into your model <laughs> through, the, through the mainframe before this. So we know the answers to all of your questions. Our Russian friends at Understat gave us the access. <laughs> yeah, I thought I had them on wrap. <laughs> but no, to, to better answer your question, Eli, I think it's, it's one of those things where, like, for example, the way what I'm trying to do with the player level metrics is I'm basically trying to say, like, okay, what is the baseline? Who are the 11 players that have played the most minutes for each team? And then on a daily basis, like a live lineup right now, who is missing and how can that impact their team, both in goals for and goals against? So if you look at a team like Leeds, if Cleek is out and there's your next replacement for him that doesn't physically start, it's probably going to end up being um, Jamie Shackleton, maybe, in the central mid, or or they'll push Rodrigo inside, and that's just a big drop-off. Like, I would say it's like you're you're losing about a point and a half of value in terms of like end of season points by doing that. Um, and that I did actually, if you if you guys did check out the article I wrote, it's way better than me just kind of talking about it here. But I did that example with Bruno Fernandez for United, so I know Jones will love that. But taking a certain player out can will have different impacts on probably how the team play, not only how the team plays, but also with that, like how many goals and how many assists, how many goals and how many goals against you're expecting them to give up. Now at a team level where I would, or I would highlight a pretty big thing I'm trying to work on is a scene like Spurs, whose tactical style is basically just inviting pressure, <laughs> allowing teams to just continuously create chances around them. So they may have a, a higher XGA, like XG against, but they're so clinical in their few chances they create. So they might create like a no goal of value in a game, but that could be two chances that were 50% probability to score and they scored both of them. Right. So teams like that, the more the teams that kind of play in that style and that vein, the more I'm going to have to update the way I do what I do, because I'm going to continuously undervalue a team like Spurs in the current form. Now I would argue they, they're not gonna be able to keep this up, especially when they're forced to go out and, actually like chase a game against a, a, a superior, an inferior opponent like if they're playing a Burnley Burnley is totally content with sitting in allowing inviting pressure but Spurs are not as comfortable doing that and so that's where I would hope my model will even it out but as of t- as of this half season point I'm definitely undervaluing Spurs for sure I, I would also think that Spurs are just a unique team I actually like comparing Spurs and City because I feel like their styles are just so vastly different you've got one team that just sits back and likes to counter in Tottenham and the other in City where it's we're gonna we're gonna win because the other team doesn't have the ball uh you know more or less Liverpool does have more possession I guess uh looking at the numbers but uh, more or less City is their defense is their offense basically so uh, I guess in your model how how much so right now they're tied in points as of this recording yeah how how off is your model in that prediction uh, for points uh expected points yeah let me pull it, let me pull it up so i i don't i have it i don't have it like to the minute i have it kind of out to the end of the season okay. but yeah i mean i have i have city i my preseason valuation had city basically running away with the league you know liverpool okay. liverpool in 2 chelsea 3 united 4 and then Spurs all the way down in eighth. So clearly, and they've they've jumped up too from ninth. So clearly they're undervalued in my in my model. And I think to your point, that does speak to the old adage of 
if you do look at a lot of people do compare Klopp versus Pep because it's like the whole possession versus space argument. But I would argue Mourinho is kind of the real wrench in this game because he's he's really adaptive and is able to play basically a style where when he plays a team that wants possession, he's happy to give it to him. So he'll just he'll he'll control the space. He'll let you he'll let you possess where he wants you to possess. But when he's playing a team that that basically is trying to sit back and park the bus theoretically his team should be able to possess. And I think that's definitely like, as of right now, their weaker opponent is when they play a bad team, which is kind of funny to say, but they, I mean, I I would say like them playing a team like a city is a complete headache for city because it requires cities back four to be disciplined. Arsenal was the perfect matchup for Spurs. Arsenal loves having the ball. Arsenal has pretty shocking I guess like positioning and, and defensive positioning that they, whenever they turned it over, it was basically a free above like 30% chance of breakaway goal opportunity for Spurs. So no, and I think that's, that's something that I've tried to toy with in my model is how much can I impact, how much can I input tactical in there? And I, I, the way I've kind of settled upon is I'm letting the lineups kind of do most of the talking. So valuing each player in a different position with different skill sets, kind of seeing how they all mesh together and then seeing what the lineup looks like. That's kind of how I'm hoping to to capture that. But that being said, it's currently the limitations are the Spurs example, right? <laughs> yeah. Graham, we're going to get to hot takes, quote unquote, hot takes from the first half of the season that aren't so hot given what the data is actually saying, but some nuggets that you've pulled out, don't necessarily have to be hot takes, but it's obviously more fun to build them that way. I want to just comment really quickly on the last piece you discussed of the role tactics play in almost disrupting analytics. And I was listening to an interview with Tyler Heaps, who is the director of analytics for the U.S. Soccer Federation. He was referring to a game, a World Cup game, that the women's national team played in, I guess it was twenty what would it have been 2018 2014 18 yeah 18 would have been one i knew it i knew it all right there he was referring to a game they had in 2018 that they were prepping for i think it was their first game out of the group stage against spain hopefully if i'm nailing this it's even more impressive if not you'll still get the idea but they had prepped this whole game plan for the way that spain had played in the group stage and so they analyzed the whole game had used analytics to figure out you know probably a little separately, but our, our best starting lineup. And it really used video and a lot of not just analytics and, and models, but the way that teams are analyzing soccer being played holistically with video, with intense, you know, markers, movement, coordination of movement and players across the field and potentially starting other players given a weakness in Spain's uh, system that they've seen. So they, they prepared this whole strategy for the game against Spain in the quarterfinals or the, the first game out of the group stage. And Spain came out with a completely different shape and completely different tactics for the game. And while there are some teams that always stick to the way they play, the best managers, the Peps and Klops and you know even Bielsa potentially, even though they stick to their game usually, but managers that are that good, they're going to adjust and play to the weaknesses of their opponent. It's tough to use past data or even lumps of historical data to necessarily predict exactly how that game's going to go because it's different from baseball where it's always a pitcher and his five pitches against the hitter. It's just such a unique part of the game in soccer. I'm curious to get 
all your thoughts. Maybe we go to, to grammar last since he'll provide the most expert take, but what do, what do you think tactics does to analytics in soccer? My knee-jerk reaction to that is, is um, tactics. There's almost two ways you can kind of look at analytics and tactics and analytics should inform your tactics to a certain extent and, um, and better yet, just highlight uh, what are things that you can expect from another team. And, um, and so because of that, I don't think it necessarily means that what you learn or glean from those analytics um, should be taken as this is absolutely what the game is going to be like, but rather this is going to help us prepare for a game. And what you need to be prepared for when it comes to game time, and that's where I think coaches' tactics and their ability to um, teach players to adapt is so that when they get to the game and they recognize, hey, the things that we talked about aren't happening, how do we adjust? How do we unlearn some of the things that we have seen and apply some of the other um, analytical um, um, insights to help adapt and, and reframe uh, what might be put in front of us. So there's still value in it. Um, but what's really important is do the players understand what the holistic strategy is when things happen and when they don't. Yeah. I second what Jones says, you know, especially the part about tactics should be, should come from the analytics uh, analytics should kind of form the, the basis for, for tactics. And if, if a team, if you, you should go into a match, expect, you know, with an expectation of what how you're going to play because the team you you are facing in the past few matches played a certain way so you, you want to attack them in this way but then they adjust so can you adjust uh to to meet that change and working on with um, the manager and everyone before before the match all right i'll lob it back to you grammar yeah no i think this is an awesome question and i think I, I'm going to piggyback off of some of what, what Jones and, and IC already discussed here. But I think analytics has kind of twofold. It's used twofold in this process, right? So it's used, in, as Jones pointed out, in building the tactical system, definitely identifying players that will best fit the tactical system. So like case in point, Tottenham going out and getting Pierre-Emil Hochberg was a, such a good buy for them. They needed like a ton, They needed a ball recovering good deep lying passing midfielder and he just checked all they, they they were able to key in on certain metrics that they were able that they were lacking and that could kind of help their system that that they that they that they value and and have a, a lot of well oiled machine players in there and and look at what it's done with the team it's made the whole team better especially a guy like Ndombele who's now just allowed to go run free and in that kind of pseudo 810 role um and that and like a situation like that in which you're able to like build up and strengthen your tactical system that was kind of built on analytics. And on the other hand, when you're when you're taking a matchup by matchup basis, I love the with the City Liverpool matchups when they're both at their peak because they're so frequently zero zero. But occasionally, someone will will decide to actually play their style as opposed to utilize tact, the, the analytics to neutralize their opponent, and then that side will typically either crush it or, or get crushed, right? It's, it's such a game theory type situation. It's the prisoner's dilemma of, of tactics. And you have all these analytics in front of you. And if you're a team that has such, I guess, like firepower and is, their system is so tactically strong, you, you kind of need to evaluate with the opponent you're playing against, is it, are you better suited to just go forth and overpower them with your tactical situation? Or do you change it up and, and utilize the players at your disposal 
to try to neutralize their tactic as best you can. And that's in the example you presented, that's kind of what it sounds like if I was to guess the Spanish manager was doing was that they played probably a really easy group or an easier group where they were able to play their style. But as good as the U.S. women's team is, you you don't want to throw out your style if they can just overpower you. And so you, you'll throw everything out the window for that 0-0 draw, that Russia in the men's World Cup side, that Russia-Spain game in wherever it was in Russia, where the Russia just 0-0 them all the way to penalties and advanced, you know? So I, I think the more... Yeah. Good, good answers all around. All right, Grammar, back to the EPL. Put you in the lukewarm seat since you had a bit of time to prepare. What are some of your key nuggets, key takeaways that the data is telling you from the first half of the Premier League season through 2020? Well, I actually, and I think this is going to surprise you guys. I want to call back uh, some Rodri slander on this pod from a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> because I actually, hot take, would argue that Rodri is incredibly underrated. And I think he's kind of the key, been the key to City. Him along with uh, Ruben Diaz have been the key to City actually kind of beginning to find their stride again. Go, go, go on, go on, King. Yeah, so my, my backup with that is Rodri is awesome when it comes to ball recoveries. He's fifth in the league, right? So he's winning the ball back. And and with that, he's also creating a lot of ch- – he's, he's, he's creating a lot of chances as well. He basically is – if I actually pull it up, he's top 10 in key passes, I want to say, if I remember that from before. In my model, at least, he's pretty well ranked in the, the bucketed deep passing metric I have. Um and so he's able to basically provide that defensive cover. And he's also great for his size at aerial du- aerial duels as well, comparably to other defensive midfielders in the league right now. And so he's able to just shield off the city back four. And that allows De Bruyne and even Gundogan to kind of go forward and play. He's playing a very Busquetsian role, right? And I think that because everyone looks at City and is like looking for – their big money signings to be these goal scoring and flashy players. A guy like Rodri, who usually only makes the headlines when he's exposed or makes a bad tackle, totally flies under the radar and is actually quite underrated. I'd say I actually have him as the second most important tactical player right now for City. So keep that in mind this season. Is Zinchenko number one? No, Kevin. Kevin's Kevin's up there. Kevin's like gotta be number one. Come on. We're big fans of Zinchenko on the pod. We don't talk about it a lot, but we're big Zinchenko guys. He, uh, I feel like he gets confused for Kevin more often than he actually gets his name called for doing something positive. <laughs> Not sure I've ever seen them uh, on the field at the same time. I feel like there's only one strawberry blonde guy on there. So. Uh, any other any other things that we were woefully wrong about that you should come on our own pod and scold us about? Well, okay, that's that's a little harsh, you know. <laughs> um, I guess biggest surprise, if you want, if I can go that route. I guess there's two players I really think have been way above where most people could have predicted them to be this year, and I think one of them is hilarious just because I it totally was either someone in the West Ham analytics department found this guy, or I don't know how he ended up at West Ham, but Thomas Susick is like far and away the most important player on West Ham, even in my model. And he just, even if you just watch him them play, the the kind of dual offensive and defensive and just absolute like dominance in the air he offers them 
while also being so intelligent on the ground. He's, I don't know, he was on loan from Slavia Praha. I don't know who from West Ham was scouting Slavia Praha. And then they brought his buddy in. I don't know if you know the Kufel story, but I guess over the summer, he's like, you guys should really sign my friend, Vladimir Kufel. He's quite a good player. <laughs> and then they went out and got him. <laughs> and now he's there starting right back. So, um, I, I, so I've been super impressed. And I love that him and Declan Rice are the number one, two players in my model for, for West Ham. And that it does, it's worth knowing that does factor in like minutes played. So it's, it's like also continuity as well. So that pairing is arguably the best pairing in the league in terms of center midfield, right? As of right now, rivaling the, the venerable Ward Prowse, Oriol Romeo pairing. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever uh, analytics folks wow. just miss Susek. He's six, four. Like even if you watch any tape, he's got to stand out. So I, yeah. that's that's on you, you know. Fair. The other guy, the other guy I'm calling out is Carl Darlow, the goalie for the keeper for Newcastle, because there's so much chatter this summer about how leaky Newcastle's going to be at the back just because Dubrovka absolutely popped off all these metrics. There's the big goalkeeping metric is called post shot expected goals, plus or minus, and it's basically like they project out basically the expected goals against you given the shots you faced and then how many goals you actually gave up. And so he crushed that metric. Him and Guaita crushed that last year. And so everyone's like, whoever this Carlo, Carl Darlow fellow who hasn't, doesn't have a ton of, of game film data on him is going to have his work cut out for him. And he's been outstanding this year. He's been one of the best keepers, if not the best keeper in the league. Wow. I can actually tell you. I think it's him and Sam Johnson are near the top there. Yeah, Darlow's been really good. Unfortunate letdown today, giving Sheffield their first. Yeah, game. I mean, well, Nick Nick Pope. Sorry, I can't miss the Pope man. Nick Pope's been the best keeper, but still, those guys are up there. And so, same with Ariola from uh, Fulham. He's been stud as well. When it comes to teams, which team should our listeners expect to have the biggest flip flops in the second half of the season? Give us a team that's been underperforming and a team that's been overperforming that you're expecting to turn it around given the the model in the second half of the season yeah i mean underperforming there's two teams you definitely could point to um you got to look at brighton and you gotta look at sheffield those two teams i mean sheffield's the key the key story just because of how bad they've been i mean they're according to understat right now they're trailing their projected point total by like almost 13 points you know and so they, they they've created a lot they've created a lot more chances than they've gotten and they've just found a way to lose all these games that they at least should have gotten some draws out of and then Brighton's actually been like up I mean Brighton's been a team that that that's rivaling like a let's see, one, two, three, four, like an eighth place finish right now in terms of if you just looked at purely the analytics side of what they've created and what they've given up against them and so if if you are someone who does believe in the analytics you gotta think okay this team has to turn it around at some point. You know, they, they have to whatever whatever's going wrong for them. Have, they have good, good players. Like I'm a huge fan of Graham Potter and Potterball and the, the fact that they just go out and play, even though they sometimes completely bites them back. They don't adjust their style for anyone they're playing. Really, they just kind of try to overwhelm their opponent. But that team is they're also trailing by about 13 points, and so it, it's it's one of those things where you think that people who are doing these projections and, and looking at these advanced metrics are. Or myself included, you're aiming to kind of look at and be able to catch teams on the meet off their mean, right? So if a team has, let's say, a mean value of X, and you're able to see them kind of start losing, 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 
the, the market where the betting market especially are going to keep pricing them worse and worse and worse. And so you want to hit them on their, their, their bottom. Right. And that's where you're seeing a Sheffield today. That's why my model liked them is because of how bad they've been on the other side of it. I think, uh, I mean, Jones, I hate to do it, but United's been a little overperforming recently. <laughs> Southampton's been overperforming as well, which saddens me to say. Um, United's is definitely more likely to stay than Southampton's, I think, just because Southampton, we're a nice little nugget here, but Southampton is, per my model, has one of the lower, oh wow, not the lowest, but they have, they have a pretty big uh, standard deviation in their lineup. So basically, if you look at, if you lined up all the different valuations of all the players they played this season, for my model, they are pretty high, which means they're either starting the same guys over and over again. They're very top heavy. They don't, they're not very deep. Um, and United's kind of actually just based on Bruno, mostly. Experience something similar. If you guys lose Bruno, you're going to be in for a tough go. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh we've got uh that we sorry, I'm a impartial host here. Um United the United team also has the luxury of um what I would call uh just no injuries this season for the most part. Um relative to the past couple seasons where they've had uh major um uh setbacks. So, um they are working on borrowed time much in the way that Liverpool had been the past couple years. So, yeah. um hear that uh, I think having though the depth of um, Van de Beek sitting on your bench, accompanied by the likes of Greenwood or um, or even you know McFred uh, or Twanzebe, I think they will. My hunches continue to keep a steady-ish ship. Um, will they? Will they go all the way? We'll we'll find out. You guys didn't ask for that. I'm just chiming in. Yeah, if if you were to take my prediction to who's going to win the league, I would have City City as my champion. <laughs> really going against the grain there. That's uh, that's remarkable. <laughs> the thing is, I had them last year too, and had to watch Liverpool go for like the biggest anti-analytics year of I think ever in the Prem, where they were twenty-two points over where their expected points from any any source would have been. So they bucked the trend last year. They're actually. Funny enough, like almost exactly on executive points this year. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think about that? I see, huh? <laughs> calling last year, he's calling last yeah, year a fluke, uh, right to it, right to your face. Uh, well, it hurts. Well, actually, I gotta get in this question before I forget. Of how do you factor in in your model player injuries or even transfers coming in? Yeah, so I handle. I basically what I do is twofold. So I I have the team level stuff metrics, which kind of capture and give the team. A baseline. I think it's like a trail. I think I do a trailing thirty-eight game baseline. So some games in the year prior, but it's heavily this year weighted. Um, and then I also, with the player side of it, I basically build up against a base their baseline. So the eleven guys that have played the most this season on their team, I compare the summed value there to the actual like value of the lineup on the given day. So, like, give you an example. United played today. And their lineup was three points, according to like my points above replacement metric. So they were three points worse than their map, than their best lineup could have been. I don't want to tout my article, but if you want to like, that's where I kind of tried to break that down there. I wrote this medium article on my LinkedIn for anyone who, who does know me personally, you can go check it out. But um, I, that's kind of the whole purpose of that article is like taking player level metrics and trying to basically 
show how I do bring it into the team level on a on a game by game basis. Before we start to to teeter off here, Mister Mister Grammar, we want to hit you with a, a quick quick round robin of uh, of uh, our favorite game over okay. or under. Just, o- just over under. Yeah, sorry. Just trying to we do a little back. Let's do it. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. With everyone's favorite game, over under rated. Is that it? No, it's probably not. Yeah. It. At this point, we assume that the stats have kind of seeped into your brain. So this is less you working, refreshing your models. You can just close your eyes and answer if you want. Even looking for like second or two seconds, just instinctual reaction whether these players are over or underrated. Okay. Shoot away. Start start you off with someone that everybody knows, Lionel Messi. I think he is properly rated. People revere him as the best player in the world, you know, and I think that's as of right now still warranted, you know, as long as he doesn't taper off. And I think he's adjusted his the way he plays quite well to fit in that system and ushering in the youngsters like Pedri and when he's not hurt on Sufati, like that's the, the next generation of, of guys coming through that, that Barca team. So it'll be, it'll be key to see what they do with their little director or director of the club hire to see if he can woo Messi to stay, but properly rated. That's how we know you're a true Foth because we didn't even say that you could properly rate something, but you know it's an <laughs> option. You know you can say something's rated. All right, second one, Grammar. Harry Maguire. Oh, Okay. This one I'm, I do want to look at my metric for. <laughs> <laughs> I think Harry Maguire is a tad underrated currently. And nice. yeah, as to why. So I think he was overrated when he got purchased. And then he's now, people are now really heavily against him. But I do think he's a, he's a, he's a guy that offers United a lot when he's playing with the right person next to him. I, I would argue Lindelof has not been the right person next to him. And so as of as of the small sample size we have, I, I like the pairing with Bailly a lot more. Because Maguire is so good at actually like kind of creating attacking chances from the back. He's when he does get to step up in the midfield and and there is a like a Matic or a McTominay or someone to hold, or even a best better yet, a Fred to hold for him and allow him to step up to that next layer, that's when he's even more dangerous. So I've been impressed there and that's those of the, those of you who know i'm not the biggest united fan well we'll have to concur that that's a fair analysis <laughs> we accept it we've got another united player we want to know your your over under or rated take uh he's a do-gooder off the field but is he a do-gooder on the field marcus rashford i think this year he's been a tad overrated in terms of his preseason valuation I think he still is the number two player on their team for me, and that's largely because he's just played the most out of that front four besides Bruno. Even though he actually played more than Bruno, but I think they need to figure out a way to utilize Rashford best. I think that's part of why he's been less effective this year. Um, I think that, like, if they, I think playing a striker that's going to go all the way up and, and, main, and play like an attacking forward perspective and kind of have the line up there and allow Rashford to cut in in like an inverted winger type position that would be his best role but there's just a lot of health or skeleton just going on up there and it's getting better week over week so we'll see I, as I'm holding that just because of all the hype preseason going in but fair 
I'm, that one I'm that one I'm keen to change my opinion on. <laughs> so are we. Um, how about a guy who's had a great year, breakout year, some may say, Calvert Lewin, Dominic Calvert Lewin. Okay, Dom. more like dominant Calvert. Oh, king stuff here. King Sorry, stuff. Can continue. Yeah, he's been awesome. He's the number one player for me in Everton. I think he's. I actually argue he's now kind of getting the properly rated tag, but definitely going into the year was underrated. For sure, I think he's he's just your classic like poaching forward, right? He's he's not really beating tens of get tens of, like all the players in the dribble. He's just making good runs, finding himself in dangerous places in the box, and he's kind of tapered off a little bit that the service has gone down with Hamez being out, and I don't think they really should play Guilty Sigerson much more, but it's gone down a little bit. But I think objectively, if you looked at him in a vacuum, he's definitely a tad underrated still. So I said, right, or properly or underrated, flexing that direction. <laughs> we appreciate that. And last and certainly not least, um, we've got a, we've got a name here, and and I think we want to understand: is he over, under, or properly rated as a as a coach? And that is uh, Franklin Lampard. I am very bearish on Frank Lampard, so I think he is. Even though he's not highly rated, I think he's overrated. He just I, – I don't know if it was him or – I don't know. Really, I, I'm not as familiar with how Chelsea transfers operate. So that's where I'm going to put my hand up and, and say I am not can't blame Lampard fully here. But to have the players he has and to just get the tactics so wrong so often is kind of glaring. I mean that City game, they lost what, 3-1, barely scored it. They shouldn't have scored like I was, my model was all over Chelsea. They loved Chelsea in that game. And it, it was one of those things where the odds were just against them. And I kind of was like, I, I, and that's one thing that's hard to value is how bad tactics the manager could have, but they, they couldn't even, they couldn't even maintain any possession in that game. And it wasn't like city was pressing hard. They just kept turning the ball over and giving them basically kicking themselves in the foot. And I, I don't know. I don't think Lampard is the guy for the job. As good of a story as it is. He's just not, as he needs to go down back to Derby or somewhere in the championship, refine his Ooh, tactics, yeah. more like refine his tactics without the media breathing down his neck. And then when he's ready, come back up to coach a team in the crown. But I mean, if he, if he goes down to Derby, he's coming up against the likes of Stoke City, which isn't too much easier to tactic to plan against. When you say, you know, we're we're the kings of zero zero this year. <laughs> what about a? Bo- bonus one, bonus one for all the Stoke City fans out there. Tyrese Campbell, Stoke City winger, six goals, five assists this year. Over or underrated? Super underrated and very sad that he got injured. He was definitely our goal scoring production went basically to an absolute halt when he got hurt. <laughs> and so we're like, he's he's electric. I don't know why. I think it was Spurs sold it. Spurs or City, one of those guys sold him to us and. I don't know a lot what the, what they didn't see in him, but he's he's one of those guys that's able to kind of have the Zaha effect where he's able to pick up the ball kind of deep, either deep in, deep in, in their own half or kind of in our own half and beat a couple guys in the dribble and then just spark an attack. And so very sad that he got hurt for the whole year. Um, we don't have enough. We do not have an answer. We're literally just an anemic offense that's, hoping to replace him with this young Welsh kid that we just brought on loan from Schalke. So we'll see. We'll see. 
<laughs> Unless his name is Matthew Hoppy, I don't think uh, it's going to fare too well, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll stay tuned. And and for those who want to stay tuned uh, for Monsieur Grammer's thoughts and predictions for any and all betting odds, uh, especially, please do follow him at uh, Minoso Mini or Minoso Mini or Minoso Mini, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, on the Twitter. If you want to learn more about his points above replacement system, uh, you can find his article, a sabermetric approach to assessing EPL players uh, on miniosomodels.com. Derek, it has been a privilege and honor um, and a slightly boring lecture having you on here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining well, us today. Appreciate, appreciate you guys putting up with my slightly boring lecture. <laughs> no, we, we need you on here. We've been talking stats all month. We kind of know what we're talking about. You really know what you're talking about. So you, you've helped us further this conversation, no doubt. Appreciate awesome. it. Yeah, no, and I'm happy to come back on if you guys want to make fun of my city not winning the league in a couple months. <laughs> we'll have you on. We definitely will. Yeah, once United's holding the, the trophy, we'll have you on to explain why they did. <laughs> um.